last night we got together with my parents and we had our family Christmas, which is, it's weird to open presents that early, but the kids weren't complaining at all about it. And um, one of the things that was really funny to me, um, albeit just telling about the, the condition of our hearts and the condition of our culture, is that, okay, so when the kids get older, you tend to spend a little bit more on them so they get fewer, more expensive gifts, right? But when they're younger, like Gavin's age, you can get away with the $4 and $5 gifts, but then you get a bunch of them, right? And so Gavin is going crazy last night. He's opening all of his gifts, and he's got this toy and that toy, and then he's not, it's not fast-paced enough for him, so he's running around to each one of us and trying to help us open our gifts as well. He's just ripping the paper and going crazy. We get done with the night. We have our ice cream, and then my mom says, okay, but I have stocking stuffers for everybody. And I'm like, oh, my God, more presents. That's awesome. Um, So we all get our stockings, and we start pulling stuff out, and it's all this, like, random little trinkets like flashlights and and hand sanitizer, and, and it's cool mom stuff. You know, it's awesome. And Gavin gets all the way through, right? And he's the first one done. I haven't even, I've, I've like opened the first thing. There's like 20 things stuffed into this stocking. And he's already done. And he runs up to me and says, Dad, my stocking's empty. And I'm like, and he's just fixated on this empty stocking. And behind him is a trail of toys and all this crazy stuff, like tons and tons of stuff, piles the whole living room is full of Gavin's treasure, like, like Scrooge McDuck diving in piles of gold, right? It's just filled with toys, and Gavin's like, my stocking's empty, Dad. And I realized this, you know, isn't that telling of our whole society? Isn't that telling of one of the biggest struggles in all of our hearts? It's the big struggle that this commandment specifically talks about. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. A positive way of saying that is be content. Be content with the gifts God has given you. Our whole society, for me as well, it's so convicting because I often find myself fixated on the empty stocking in my life instead of all the amazing gifts that our dad has blessed us with. And so today we're going to dive into this and we're going to do this sermon really different. I'm going to talk up at the front here for a little. We're going to read through some text, and then the success or failure of this time together will rest solely on your shoulders. Just letting you know. Get ready. There's going to be some dialogue. It's going to be fun. So let's dive into the text. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. This is that final commandment. Do not covet. The 10th commandment. And Paul is expounding on this. I won't take a long time to really tear into this and explain the context of this passage because we just did a series through Philippians, and I'm sure it's, it's actually why I picked this, because I'm hoping that it's still fresh on many of our hearts. But just a brief reminder, Paul, at the end of his life, writing from prison, awaiting judgment, awaiting probably certain death for his faith, you know, a guy who should really be focused on the empty stocking of his life, so to speak, a guy who should be really discontent with where he is. I get discontent with a lot less, right, than what Paul's going through. Yet Paul is overflowing with joy and hope because of the gospel. And this is what he says in Philippians 4. 
I rejoice in the Lord greatly that at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret Everybody say secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul, at the end of his life, has discovered the secret to contentment. And it's something that I think all of us wish we had today. It's, it's something I think Gavin was seeking in the bottom of that stocking. It's this It's this. Being settled, it's this having enough, it's this joy with where you are in life, with what God has given you. But Paul wasn't always there. And we know this because if you read in Romans, when he writes Romans chapter 7, he's talking about um, his, his pedigree, he's talking about how he's, a, you know, thought he had arrived, he had been a Pharisee among Pharisees, you know, he, he had really kept the law, but then all of a sudden he says, but I realized something. I realized that I hadn't really kept the law. On the outside, it looked like it. But on the inside, I wasn't keeping the law. And it came down to this. It came down to, I discovered I wasn't content. He says, he says this in Romans 7, 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had never said you shouldn't covet. So coveting was something that was alive and well in Paul's life, but he didn't even know it. And yet later on in his life, he's found the secret of contentment. What got Paul from over here to over there? What was it? What was this secret? Well, that's what we're going to discuss today. And in order to do that, we have to talk about what coveting is. Because coveting is like, it's an inner grasping. Coveting, here's, here's a definition Coveting is ungodly, discontented desire, passion, envy, jealousy, greed, lust, craving, obsession, longing for something or someone that is not meant to be yours. The Twitter definition, if you would, the, the short version of it that you might be able to walk away with today is this. When you don't want what God wants for you. Coveting is when you don't want what dad wants for you. And coveting is unique among the Ten Commandments because all the other nine commandments focus on the external, right? If you say don't murder, you can tell whether somebody has or hasn't murdered. They leave evidence behind. It is an action, right? Don't lie. Don't steal. All of a sudden, you get down to don't covet, the Tenth Commandment, and you can't always tell when somebody's coveting, can you? Because it's an internal thing. It's something that's happening inside of us. And that's, that's one of the reasons why the Ten Commandments are so unique. Just a brief note about that. All the other moral codes of the day, all the other law codes, it's all external things that people are doing. The Ten Commandments starts, it starts with how we see God and how we worship God and what we do, how we live in society at large and our actions. But then it works its way backward in, within us deep into our hearts, and starts to talk about what's going on inside of us, what actually is causing 
all of these other sins and brokenness. The Ten Commandments isn't just a law code. It's actually about, it shows us the difference between law and sin, right? It's about, it's, it's a moral code. It's about how we're supposed to live. It's God coming down as dad, like we've talked about over and over in the series, and saying, you're my kids. I love you. I want what's best for you. Here's the way to live. Here's a way to live that's going to really give you the life that I want for you, the life that's truly living. And so it's unique because it's internal. It's not external. Un, you know, and the, the, it's, it shows that it's the root of other sins. Jesus says this. He says, the good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit from within. Right? Another place in Mark 7, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. And then he lists a bunch of stuff, including coveting. And he says, All these evil things proceed from within and defile a man. One more scripture, James. We might have this one on there. James chapter 4. The brother of Jesus is writing and he says this, What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? You ever wonder why you fight with people? Maybe you have a relationship where you're always, you know, fighting and then making up and fighting and making up. Maybe that's a pattern you like. I don't know. Some people tend to love that pattern, the passion pattern, right? I love, I love to fight well because I love making up, you know. Um, I see some smiles out there. Everybody's scared to laugh at that one, though. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So... So there's, James is talking about this. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? If you guys want to stop fighting in your relationship, listen to what James has to say. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet, there it is, and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask, and you don't ask, and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So even James, Jesus, Proverbs would even say that, that coveting comes from the inside. He says, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of your life. You live from your heart. Every action that you do in your life comes back to a heart belief that's going on inside. And coveting is, is one of these opportunities we have to really start to explore why we do some of the things we do. Why the other nine commandments even exist. Because it all starts with covering. If we recap the series, like think about it. Look back, adultery, the seventh commandment. Adultery doesn't start out here when you accidentally just wake up one day and you're like, oh man, I committed adultery. I had no idea it was even happening, right? Where does adultery start? Where does Jesus say it starts? In our heart. Doesn't it start with coveting? Being discontent with what God has given you, the gifts in your life, and you're craving something else outside of that. How about stealing? Where did stealing start? It starts in the heart with coveting, doesn't it? Even breaking the first commandment. You look at Satan, right? Satan, angel of light, says, I will lift my throne above the stars of God. I want what God has. I want his position. I want his authority. I'm sick of his control over me. And the first thing he does when he comes down and talks to Adam and Eve is, is what he says, when you eat of the tree, you shall be as what? God's. Even breaking the first commandment about there being one God and worshiping him alone, 
even breaking that commandment comes back to us coveting God's authority, God's sovereignty. We want to be in control of our own lives. We want to be as God. Every commandment kind of comes back to this at the root. And so you say, man, why why'd they list the other nine and not just put this one in first, you know? Well, it starts up high with God. It starts with the up, it goes to the out, and then it creeps back within, and it shows us kind of with bookends. All these other nine commandments kind of show us the root of what's going on in our hearts, the root of disbelief, the root of brokenness within us. And so today, I'm going to take the opportunity to do something a little different. Um, we do a lot of sermons here. We love to preach the word. We believe in that. Um, and today, what I want to do is, since we're a family on mission, New City, we say that church is about a lot more than what happens on Sunday. Church is about making disciples in all of life, right? It's a family on mission. What's the mission? Anybody know the mission of God? What's Jesus tell his disciples before he leaves? Go into the whole world and make what? Disciples. That's our calling. That's our mission. We find our greatest purpose in life when we're about that. But what does it mean to make disciples? Because, like, what we could do is, like, have a whiteboard and teach people a bunch of facts to memorize and go out and try to live their life differently. But that's, that's not really discipleship, is it? Discipleship is in all of life. You see Jesus living with his disciples three and a half years, teaching them along the way, showing them what life is like. So we believe that discipleship happens best in community. And in order for that to happen, we have to know how to make disciples. Not just bring people to church on Sunday, have them hear a sermon, and hope that somehow they get made into a disciple with an hour a week. We want to actually have the tools. The Bible says that in Ephesians 4 that we are given, uh, the ministers are given to the body to equip the saints for the works of ministry. Not to do the work of ministry all on their own, but we're, we are called, all of us, to do the work of ministry, to do the work of disciple making. And so we're going to walk through a really simple exercise called Fruit to Root today. Um, actually, last week, my whole sermon was built on fruit to root, the structure, and you might recognize that. It, it, it talks about, we have a picture of it here. It talks about essentially all the fruit that we experience in our life, everything that we experience, all these other commandments that we see ourselves breaking, the negative emotion, the negative behavior, all the cycles and, and addictions we get into that we can't seem to kick, it all goes back, the fruit goes back to root beliefs in our heart. Things we believe or don't believe about who we actually are, about what's going to save us, what the gospel is that we're believing, and who God actually is. So we're going to take time as a family, and this is, like I said, it's either going to be the worst sermon ever, or it's going to be a really illuminating time where some of us walk away and we say, oh, I get it. I get how to lead somebody in a conversation. I get how to think about my own discipleship in a different way because at the end of the day, it's not just about my behavior, it's about my beliefs. It's about what I'm believing about God in life. So we're going to walk through fruit to root through coveting. And I'm just going to ask some simple questions. I think it's going to be great. But it's only going to be great if we participate. Secondly, so please jump in, raise your hand. Let's answer these questions. Secondly, there's eight questions. So if we spend 10 minutes on each of these questions... Guess how long that's going to take? So we got to move. Okay, so if you have your hand up and, and I keep things moving along, please don't take it personally. We just got to keep moving. But if you guys will, I want you to not just learn about coveting today. 
and not just learn how the gospel applies to coveting. That's, that's important. But also, I want you to see the structure of how to work backward from some of your behaviors in life to what's actually driving those behaviors, how to repent from those, and how to believe the gospel. Is that, is that all right? You guys, okay, cool, good. Because I, I can preach, but I think this would be better. So, all right, so we're going we're gonna to jump in here, and we're going to ask the first question, and it's about what I do. What are some of the reasons? What might some of the reasons, or what might, some, go ahead, is there a question up there, Ram? One more time. Cool. So we're going to start on the repent side. What might be some ways that we see people covet? What might be some ways we see people covet? Not being thankful. Okay, cool. Cool, yeah. They lie. Okay. Okay, what are some other ways we see people coveting on the outside? And maybe things, what's that? Complain about what you have or you don't have. Yeah, David? Okay. Yeah, man. If I could just get that, then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd have meaning value. Yeah. Marco. (laughs) Seeing your neighbor's Mercedes when your dad owns a donkey cart? Dodge dart. (laughs) Donkey cart, dodge dart. You know, same, same. They cost about the same, I think. Yeah. snarky attitude towards someone who actually has things. Oh, man. Yeah, I saw, I, I've seen that. You know, you see that with your kids sometimes. You know, you, you try to treat your kids fairly, but every once in a while you come back with a gift for one, and then the other ones are like, oh, it's great, yay. And they look at you like, where's mine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, David. Did you have your hand up? Somebody had their hand up. Naveed, sorry. Being greedy. Yeah. Hey, hey. Yeah. Xavier. Jealousy. That happens all the time, doesn't it? So you can see how this works out all over our lives. Let me ask you guys this. I want you to, in order for this exercise to really be personalized, I want you to think of a way really quickly in your own life. And don't say it out loud. Just think about it. What's a way in your own life that coveting has showed up in the last week? Which is going to be hard, I know, because it's Christmas time. And we don't do a lot of coveting around this time, but just think about that. And then let's, let's jump into the next question. So we're talking about what we do. Let's check back into who we think we are, what we're believing about ourselves for a second, okay? How are we seeing ourselves when we covet? What are some things we're believing about ourselves when I'm coveting? Yeah. I'm lower than somebody else. I don't have as much status as they do or worth or value. Yeah, Daryl. I'm not taken care of. Somebody's not taking care of me. They have something I don't. Yeah. I'm not good enough. Wow. I'm entitled. I deserve more. I am good enough. I'm better. Why do they have that? Mike. I'm in control. Wow. Wow. I should have better things than another person. Yeah, Marco. I'm not liked. People don't like me. If they liked me, they would have got me this. 
Yeah, Navid. I'm sorry. God doesn't love me enough. I'm like God's stepchild. <laughs> yeah, he loves his kids over there and kind of puts up with me. Yeah, Mike. I deserve more. I deserve more. What the heck? I work harder than they do. How do they make more money than me? That's crazy, Tyson. I should be appreciated. People just don't see what I'm worth. They don't appreciate me. Let's keep going. So what we do tracks back to how we see ourselves, doesn't it? But it also tracks back a little further to what we believe about what God's done for us. Or another way of saying it is we either believe a true gospel or we believe a false gospel. We believe something's going to save our life. Something's going to put things back together right. Okay? So when, when I believe this, okay, when I'm coveting, I'm seeing myself a certain way, what's that say about what I believe the gospel is? Go ahead. Um, when we covet, what do we believe will save us or give us value or meaning or happiness? What do we believe? What are we looking to? Yeah. If I work harder, then I'll get more. So isn't that crazy that coveting can drive our work ethic? Not because we're doing it for the glory of God. Not because we're doing it out of pure joy in all that we have. We're doing it to get. We got to work harder. Yeah. Mm. We believe material things will give us that value. Keeping up with the Joneses. If I had that Mercedes... Instead of this Dodge Dart. Yeah. Ashley. Security. Yeah, how so? Yeah. Mm. So it's almost like there's layers of what we'd call idolatry here, right? I want that thing. I want that thing really bad. Why? Because it really it represents security for me. I'm yearning for security. And if I had security, then I would have meaning, value, hope, and life. So there's layers. Like oftentimes we're like, yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's the stuff that will take you to hell. Well, oftentimes there's layers beneath the, the real big obvious sins in our life, the real big broken patterns in our life. There's layers of belief about what's going to save us. Yeah. Anything else? Kenny. God hasn't given me what he should. Mm. So I got to get it. That's what Satan says, right? That's the earliest lie. I will lift my throne above the stars of God. I deserve more. I'm sick of waiting. I'm impatient. I wish things would just, come on. Come on, God. What are you doing up there? I'm sick of waiting for this. Okay, let's keep going. We got to keep moving. Um, so what I do tracks back to what I believe about who I am, what I see myself as, which tracks back to whatever gospel I'm believing, what my functional Savior is, okay, which tracks back to ultimately how I see God, the real theology I believe, whether it's truth or a lie, which we talked about last week. Remember we said last week we tell lies because we what? We believe lies. It's the same with all sin. All sin comes from lies we believe about God. False understanding, false seeing God. So we need to see God as he is. Because what's the Bible say? They will know the truth, and the truth will what? Yeah, so we want to replace those lies. We want to repent of those lies we're believing with the truth. Okay, let's talk about this. What does all this say about how we're viewing God? 
If I feel like I'm not secure, if I feel like I'm not provided for, what's all this say about how I'm viewing God? Kenny. God either doesn't exist, or if he does, he's absent or apathetic, impotent. He's, he's not powerful enough to actually do something about my situation. Yeah. God's defective. God's inferior. I could do better. I'm a, I'd, I'd make a better God. Yeah. Anybody see Bruce Almighty? Even Hollywood knows that's not true. Matt. Mm. Okay, yeah. So it's not that God can't do something about it. It's that he chooses not to because my needs don't really matter to him. At the end of the day, he doesn't really put my needs above something else. Yeah, he doesn't prioritize them. Heidi. Oh, he's punished me. He's ticked at me. God's the old man in the sky with a stick. It's not the, he's got a blessing stick and a cursing stick, and he's going to beat me with one of them, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's what you said, right, Heidi? <laughs> that's, that's what you were saying. Susan. God owes me. God owes me. Yeah, God's stingy. I've been working my butt off for him. That's that older son in the prodigal son story, right? The younger son comes home, and he's ticked. You killed the fatted calf for him? I've been here working my butt off for you. I've been performing for you. I've got my ducks in a row. He doesn't. Why are you loving on him? Yeah, David. Mm. Uh, it almost like God's kind of cruel. God's kind of, he set up the ant farm, and he's got the magnifying glass out. He's just playing with us, right? He's manipulative. He, here's a toy. You want it? You want it? Ha-ha. Even. Mmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this false view of God that he's manipulative, that he's just using you for his purposes. You're just a means to God's end in the end of the day. He doesn't actually value who you are. Yeah, Austin. God is not good. God doesn't provide. He's not good-natured. Wow, do you see these? Think about this for a second. So much of the behavior in our life is flowing from bad theology. Wrong views of who God is. And what He's done done for us and who we are as a result. And here's the deal. If we will take time to work back to some of this stuff in our heart belief, then you have real repentance. Because you can repent from your bad behaviors, right? But what's that get you? Behavior modification. I stopped being addicted to this thing. I have a friend who was addicted to alcohol for years and years and years, and he went through AA. And now he's not addicted to alcohol, but guess what he does? He sleeps like three hours a night. He works more than anybody I know. He's a chain smoker. He's got all these other addictions that replace that addiction. I'm so glad he's not a danger to society anymore with the alcohol abuse. But he's still addicted. He's still struggling. He's still under bondage and slavery because he's still believing lies about God. 
He hasn't experienced real healing. And Christianity is not about behavior modification, guys. It's not about what we do. Christianity is about what God has done for us. The gospel is something that God has done. It's good news about something that's been done already. And as we believe it, it frees our lives to live in light of it. Are we tracking? Okay. Do you guys see how if you're starting to have these kinds of conversations in your own heart daily or within community, that we would experience real discipleship and real freedom as we wrap our lives around the gospel? Okay. So we've tracked backward. What I do is built on what, how I see myself, who I am, which is built on what I believe will save me, what, what God has done, which is built on who God is. The famous saying is, I think it's Karl Barth, he says, orthodoxy begets orthopraxy. What that means is right beliefs will get you the right practices in your life. If you want a healthy life, you got to have the right beliefs. Everything that you struggle with, everything, negative emotions, bad behavior, addictions, everything tracks back to false beliefs about God. Okay? But I want to say one more quick note before we move over and start believing. This isn't just self-help. This isn't just a way to fix yourself and fix other people. Christianity, again, because this would just become a tool for behavioral modification, and we'd use God's truth to try to get the behavior we want in our life. At the end of the day, this is about worship. This is about what we're worshiping. This is about who we're seeing God as. So I want to challenge you guys, as you use this tool, and even today, as you think about what you're coveting or where coveting has showed up in your life, Please don't sell yourself short and just try to get to new behavior, better behavior. Please pause right here and think about what you need to repent of and how you get to see God. And as we start talking about the truth of who God is, let your heart worship. Let your heart actually open up and see God as he is, okay? So what's the Bible say about who God is? What is the truth about God? We talked about some lies. What is the truth? Is God a bad father? Is God not good? Does God not give gifts to his children? Does God not love you? Is he impotent? Does he not care? That's all the things Satan would have you believe. What is the truth about who God is? So God is actually sovereign. He has a plan. And it's not a plan that's opposed to our good. It's a plan that is for our ultimate good. Even though sometimes it may not lead to your temporary happiness, it will lead to your ultimate good. That's, that's powerful. That's one, we talk about four Gs here that summarize God's, God's character. One of those is God is great. He's sovereign. He's in control. Yeah, what else? Hmm. Hmm. That it is finished. When Jesus said that, he meant it. Wow. Yeah, Austin. Hmm. So God's not sitting up in heaven not caring with a cold heart toward us. But we see in Jesus, as Hebrews says, that he is a high priest that is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted as we are. Yet without sin, he feels deeply what you're going through. He identifies with you. Yeah. 
What else? Daddy God is dad. I don't know what picture some of us have of fathers. Some may be good, some not. But daddy pictures are given to point us to, to our true dad. To a, a, a good a scripture we read last week, right? Which is, he is the father of lights. In him is no shadow and turning. And all good and perfect gifts come from him. Jesus says that too. Like, which one of you would ask your dad for for bread and he'd give you a stone. How much more does our heavenly father want to give good gifts to his children? It's the heart of Father God. Yeah. Couple more, couple more. Gloria. Wow. He's faithful. Period. Even when we're unfaithful. Which I for me I know that's a lot more than I'd care to admit. Yeah. Mm. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. He's not wavering. He doesn't change. You see that even when he speaks, right? He speaks in creation. It happens, right? God is the same. His word it never changes. He sets things up in order. Yeah, Kenny. He's the creator of the universe. He knew us before we were formed in our mom's wombs. Loved us. One more, Kenny. He's generous. He's generous. Everybody say generous. Mm. So you put that image of God together. He's in control. He's, he is hardest for you. Even when you're hurting, his heart is with you in it. He gives good gifts to his kids. What's that mean? If he hasn't given you a good gift yet, he probably has given you other ones that maybe you're not focused on. All you're focused on is the empty stocking and not on all the trail of gifts behind you. Yeah. That he does love you. He, does, he actually likes you. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's track backward then. So that's who God is. What has God done? Oops. Well, there's two questions for one. All right. So how did Christ display God's character? Those things we just said about who God is, Christ perfectly embodied them. He incarnated them, right? All the theology that we believe about God, Jesus Christ embodied the word in flesh. So how did Christ display God's character? And a second kind of question that we can really apply to this, how did he fulfill this command? How do we see Jesus not coveting but being content? How do we see that? I know that's kind of a twofer Actually, it's a threefer, but yeah, Marco. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He, so he was tempted, but he didn't go path, down a path of evil that would lead him to do anything wrong. Wow. Think about that. Yes. Okay. Mm. So even, even, there were points where Jesus even, the God-man, God in the flesh, struggled, didn't he, to do his Father's will. Even though he always did do it and was faithful, there were times 
like in the garden, where he's staring at the cup of God's wrath against all human sin for all time. And he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So even though Jesus was tempted to not do God's will, even though Jesus was tempted to covet some other position, some, some life where he wouldn't have to die for the sins of the world, he did it. He was faithful. Yeah, what else? Matt. Yeah, so, so Jesus, Jesus shows that he shows God's heart in that he provides for people's physical needs, feeds the 5,000. I mean, he even has physical needs. He rests himself. He has to take breaks, right? He has to take time with Father God. So Jesus shows us physical needs and he, that he cares for them and community. He shows us that God cares about us uh, uh, community needs. Yeah, Xavier. I'm so sorry. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Keeps the devil away from us. Kept the devil away from himself, didn't he? In temptation in the wilderness, when he was tempted to believe lies about God, what did he do? He spoke the truth of God to his heart. He spoke the truth of God right back to the enemy. Yeah, Mike. Mm. He didn't judge people for what they had or didn't had. Yeah. Wow. He full, just let's let's pause here. Jesus fulfilled this law on our behalf. The, the good news of the gospel is that this law would crush us. None of us can can live a day probably without coveting in some way. Yet Jesus fulfilled this law on our behalf. That's good news of the gospel. Kenny He gave up a position he had. He left. He had everything. And instead of coveting more, he left that so that we could have everything. So we could have all that he had. That's the opposite of coveting. That's, that's sacrifice. That's giving. It's generosity. We got to keep moving. Let's go to the next question. What's that say about who? Oh, sorry. Just go back one more room here. Um, what's that say about who I am? Who are we in light of the gospel? How, how are we free from coveting today? Daryl. We have a spirit of a generous God living in our hearts. The same spirit that Jesus Christ had, the Holy Spirit that empowered his ministry, is now shed, shed abroad in our hearts. It's filling our lives. Yeah, what else? What, what else is our identity in Christ? In Jesus, everything was provided. So guess what? We're provided for. Yeah. What else? Mm. 
All of our sins are forgiven, so we get to be honest. This is a room of grace, right? We get to be honest with one another about our own brokenness, and we get to forgive other people when they sin against us. Yeah, David. That's so good. There's no, there's no more fear of failure because Jesus did everything for us. So now we get to, you know, if we're playing football, we get to throw far. We get to run far. We get to play our hardest, not worry about losing the game because we know that he already won on our behalf. That's good news. That's the gospel. Yeah. And I would just say, add to that, David, like we totally get to move away from fear altogether and move to this place where we're loved by God. First John says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. We're not defined by fear anymore. There's nothing to fear. We're free because we're loved by God, by Daddy God through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, okay? We're adopted. I'm just going to say this last one, and then we'll move to the final point. Last one, we are adopted in because of Jesus. He brought us back in, reconciled us to the Father, Everything that he had is ours. We don't need to covet. We've been provided for. We're loved. We're accepted. God has a plan for our life. Last one. So how do we get to live in light of that? What's it look like for us to move from coveting to contentment? What's it look like for us to move? What it, and maybe you can be open and honest here with that thing you were thinking about right at the beginning where coveting has showed up in your own life. Maybe, maybe not, but if, if you feel free, this is a room of grace. We're just broken. It, Jesus is the only righteous one. We get to share, like, what does it look like for you to move from covenant to contentment with the gifts God has given you? To focus on all those gifts instead of the empty stocking. Yeah. We can work more freely. Wow. Yeah. I don't have to work in order to get everything I don't have. I get to work out of a belief that I've been given everything. I'm working freely. Yeah. Mike. Hmm. Wow. No matter what situation we're in, we're free to be content, to be happy in it, because we know that essentially we're where God wants us, Right? Wait, that sounds like what Paul said. Wait, what did Paul say? For I've learned whatever situation I am to be content. When we start to get the gospel of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and who we are, it frees us to be content, doesn't it? Yeah, Austin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Everything in life God has designed for us to shape us to be more like Jesus, which is good news. That's great. I'm going to take two more real quick. Ashley. Mm. Yeah. 
Mm, that's so good. The good day, bad day, Christianity. The ups and downs of, I'm loved, I'm not loved. God must hate me. God loves me. I'm provided for, I'm not. Man, who's in control of my life? I need to take control. That up and down roller coaster, that sucks. You're free from that. You're free from that, Katie. Uh, Kim. Mm. Less fear of man and more trust in God. I remember um, I was working at a restaurant, and, man, the owners were angry. They were angry owners. They, they were really, really sweet. It was like they were bipolar, almost. It was like they were really, really sweet, and then all of a sudden they'd be really angry, and they'd yell and scream at everybody, right? And um, then I did a dumb thing and accepted the role as manager because I'm a young, starving church planner, and I'm like, oh, I'll get more money if I'm a manager. Um, yeah, that was horrible. Anyway, so I remember... I remember, though, thinking to myself one day, something, something bad had happened. I forget. One of the guys had dropped, like, a tray of wine glasses or something. And I, I'm the manager, so I've got to go in and tell the boss. And I remember being scared to death to do that, literally, like, not wanting to. Fear of man. The Bible says in Proverbs, the fear of man lays a snare I was so afraid of them yelling at me and berating me. I was so afraid. You know why? My identity was built on people's approval of me. And when they loved me, I felt great. And when people patted me on the back, oh, man, I was soaring. And when people said, you suck, I was like, you're right, I do suck. You know, and a horrible, horrible life. I was so scared to go through that. And I remember the Holy Spirit gently reminding me of my identity in Christ. That no matter what happens out here in my circumstances, God's, Dad's opinion of me doesn't change. He loves me as I am in Christ, and that's unshakable. Nothing I do, nothing anybody says about me, nothing anybody thinks about me can change that ever. I'm free. I'm free. Isn't that amazing how the gospel frees us in so many ways? Now, I just want to pause here, and I want to give us time to reflect personally in communion. And what we're going to do is we're, we're going to come down and we're just going to share maybe a couple of things together in smaller groups of two and three around the table. And the questions we're going to ask are this, as we repent and believe, just two simple questions over communion. Do we have a slide for that? Cool. Repent. What lies have you believed about who you are and about what God has done in your life, what's going to save you, and about who God is, His character? And how have you practiced coveting as a result? So as you thought about coveting earlier on in the sermon, what areas it shows up in your life, what lies were you believing? You get to come down and confess that. And this blood right here, well, it's grape juice, but it represents the blood of Jesus Christ shed to forgive you of every sin and every false belief that led to those sins. You're free. You get to confess and receive. You're forgiven. You're loved. And then believe. How does the gospel truth set you free to be content in any situation? And just a reminder, these crackers represent the perfect righteousness of God in the life of Jesus Christ lived every day in the flesh for you. You're, you're not just forgiven from your sin, but you're given the very righteousness of God. You've become that. So you get to confess the truth. You get to believe that the gospel does set you free and talk about what it looks like for you to be content in that area. So we're going to take a time for communion. We're going to turn on some music. 
And we're going to come down and just kind of enter into these questions in smaller groups of two or three and proclaim the gospel truth to one another through the elements. And then we're going to come back together for one more song. Kenny's going to lead us in that, and we're going to dismiss. Um, let me say a prayer over you guys. Dad, thank you that you've created us to be free. That's your initial design. That's why you sent your son to die in our place, to set us free, to live the life abundant that you designed for us when you were dreaming this whole plan called creation up. That you, you've called us to be free from covetousness and to embrace contentment with our dad's gifts. You've called us to be free from jealousy in our relationships with one another and to experience joy in our community, joy in our marriage, joy in our relationship with our kids. You've called us to be free from commercialism and consumerism and all the isms of our society that drive us as a whole culture toward the edge and toward the brink of destruction. And you've freed us to experience real, true gospel community. Thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that today we would really, really rest in the truth of who you are and what you've done for us and who we are as a result, our identity. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come in this place right now and speak to our hearts. I pray that this would move from just an exercise, just a sermon, just a talk or a training to a moment of worship with our God that we would remember how good you are, that we would see you through Jesus and we would glorify you. We would rejoice in your good news, your love and grace for us, especially in this time of Christmas. Thank you that we don't have to focus on the empty stockings of our life, but we get to focus on all the amazing gifts that we, we can be thankful for, especially the gift of your son. In this Christmas season, we remember that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. And I pray that many of us, whether for the first time or for, you know, the million and first time, we would believe on him and we would receive life everlasting because of our faith in who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, have your way in the next few moments, we pray. Amen. We're going to come down and receive communion. If it's your first time here and you're kind of like, hey, I'm not sure how this works. If you believe the gospel, come on down, receive communion, jump in a group. You can listen in or you can participate in these dialogue questions. If you're uncomfortable with that and you just want to hang back, feel free to hang back. We'd love to get to know you. You can come meet me in the foyer and I'll um, give you a gift and get your connect card. Love you guys.